Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We started out a series of messages on by faith, how faith is demonstrated here in the book of Hebrews. And Abel was the first one, and how he offered a blood sacrifice and was accepted. God gave witness to his gift, declared him to be righteous through that sacrifice. Enoch, in a wicked age, walked with God, lived a dedicated life. And Noah, anticipating the judgment that was to come of the flood that God had warned him of, built an ark to the saving of his house. And now we come down to verse 8. Let's read verses 8 through 19. We'll cover a larger passage of Scripture this morning, the Lord willing. And this is by faith Abraham. So we've had by faith Abel, by faith Enoch, by faith Noah. Now we have by faith Abraham. And I want you to notice, it says in verse 8, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles, with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. We've read a great deal here about Abraham. You know, verses 8 through 10 tells us that Abraham believed God when he did not know where. Verses 11 and 12, when he did not know how. Verses 13 through 16, when he did not know when. And especially when he offered up Isaac. Verse 17 through 19, when he did not know why. But Abraham is called the father of the faithful. And the Bible says he's the father of our faith. We find him an outstanding example in the Bible. But we're going to talk about by faith Abraham and show his obedience. And then consider some things that we see that he did by faith. By faith Abraham. Now, in Abraham, we see the obedience of faith. Notice the statement, the very first verse. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, it says, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whether he went. The obedience of faith. His obedience was not that of a slave. His obedience was not that of a hireling. But it was from the heart. He obeyed, and he went out. We need to consider, before we get in further into the message, 
Abraham's roots. Where was he before? And what did God call him out of? You have two passages of Scripture. Isaiah 51, verses 1 and 2. And Joshua 24, verse 2 and 3. And let me just read both passages of Scripture. So it will show us where Abraham came from and what he was called out of to separate himself from. It says in Isaiah 51, verse 1, Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, ye that seek the Lord. Look unto the rock from which ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit whence ye are digged. Look unto Abraham your father, as if digged out of a pit, and hewn out of that rock. And to Sarah that bare you, for I called him alone, and blessed him, and increased him. That's enough to get the point over. So, Abraham was considered as if he were in a pit, and had to be lifted out, and he was like a rock from which we all are hewn and fashioned. But in Joshua 24, verse 2 and 3, it says, And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time. By the way, when it speaks of in the Bible the, old, the other side of the flood, it means the other side of the river Euphrates. The other side of the flood in old time. Even Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nacor, and they, ser- they served other gods. That's what I wanted to get over. And it says, And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him through out all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and gave him Isaac. So we see where he came from. He came out of a land of idolatry. And so when God called him, God called him out of a a world of sin, a world of idolatry, and he wanted him to be separated from that kind of a world. And by the way, that's the first thing my wife says. She counts how many times I say, by the way. That's two already, isn't it? Everyone has to have some way of getting it over. Uh, I get amused at a preacher that sends us, and I know him, Gene Wolfenberger from uh, down in uh, Texas. And uh, anyway, he sends us tapes. And his, his pet saying is this, Is it not so? And he comes out with that all the time. So if I say, by the way, a few more times, forgive me, please. But anyway, we'll look at this. Uh, What I want you to see is that Abraham believed that God had the right to command obedience. Now, we must believe that God is sovereign and has the right to say to us what He will. He's our Creator. And Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. And Jesus speaks of God The Father, our Father. He said, when you pray, say, our Father, which art in heaven. And so we find that there's a great deal of relationship and a great deal of of, uh, understanding that we need to have when we believe God. We believe God that He has the right to command us to obey. Fathers have a right to tell their children how to act and what to do. And mothers. And uh, everyone, by the way, here it is, is in command of someone else. Isn't it true that everyone has someone over them? There's not any of us that are left to ourselves. Abraham believed that God had the right to command obedience, and Abraham believed that God is right in all that He says and does, and all that He does command us. He will never tell us to do anything but what is right. 
Do you believe that? That God always tells us what is right. And we need to not question when God tells us this. And as Abraham, we must have faith in the Lord's call upon us to obey. We're not to ask others' opinions or seek someone else's approval. If God tells you to do something, that's between you and God. I remember when God called me to preach. It was between me and the Lord. My wife didn't want to marry a preacher, for sure. And she was a little reluctant after I became one. But anyway, that is another story. When God calls an individual to do something, that individual must obey. And if God calls you to do something... It's your responsibility to obey. And someone else may disapprove, and someone may approve, and someone may have another opinion, another idea about what your life should be. But your life should be what God wants it to be. And each and every one of you, under the sound of my voice, should realize that whatever God wants you to be, that's what you need to be. You ask His guidance. If he wants you to be a good carpenter, you be a good carpenter. If he wants you to be a plumber, electrician, a painter, or someone that works in high tech, other kinds of professions, whatever God wants you to be, you can be a good Christian and be a good professional. And so whatever profession, whatever occupation that God would have you to hold, you do the best you can to be that, and at the same time, be obedient to God in being in following God. Not everyone is called into the same field. What would we do if we did not have people of different professions to help us in our needs wherein we're lacking? If we didn't have someone that knew more about it in that other field. So we need to follow God in that way. And the kind of faith that creates prompt obedience. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. He didn't wait and wait and wait and say, well, I'll think about it. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. And he was not undecisive. The kind of faith that creates prompt obedience. And then, think again. Obedience should be exact. Even as Abraham's obedience was exact, he did fail somewhat at the beginning because he was called in... Let me read in uh, the book of uh, Genesis chapter 12. He was called to go out from his kindred and his... And his land. And lo and behold, all the family tagged along. And later, some of them died on. His father died at Haran. And uh, then he went on. And he took Lot with him. And that was another problem all of his life, wasn't it? But he felt close to Lot. And he was trying to rescue him as his nephew. But let me read in Genesis 12, verse 1 through 4. It says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, into a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Herod. But when he went to, to Haran in the previous chapter, in the 11th, it tells us that Terah and Haran and Naar, the generations of Abram, and it says, Haran died before his father Terah in the land of Nativity and Ur of the Chaldees. That was Haran. 
And Abram and Naor took them wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah. The name of Naor's wife, Milcah. And the name of Haran, the father of Milcah and the father of Iscah. But Sarah was barren. She had no child. And Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, his son, the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarah, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees. So he had a whole host of his family that went with him. It says, uh, in the days of Terah, this is Abram's father, were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So he was delayed, in a sense of the word, from completely following as he needed to follow. And his obedience sometimes, or somewhat, failed. Sometimes we intend to obey fully, and there are other attachments along the way that keep us from fully obeying and doing what God wants us to do completely and totally. But nevertheless, he did obey God, and he, he went out from Ur of the Chaldees. You could study the whole history and find the mistakes, the false and the failures, and yet we know that Abraham is the father of our faith. And faith produces a far-seeing obedience. If you remember, in Hebrews 11, he was called to go out in, into a land not knowing whither he went. And he sojourned in the land of promise. That's verse, chapter 11, verse 9. Dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob. So we see that his obedience was far-seeing. He had to go to... And he could not see with his natural eye what it would be. God just said, go out unto a land that I will show you. The Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. He was, go, he was to go to a place that he would afterward receive for an inheritance, that is, the promised land, would be his. Again, his faith was not to be delayed by human reasoning. You know, a lot of times when God calls, people say, well, let me just think this out. Is it advantageous for me to follow this leadership? And we get, we get all the human reasoning in there. And some people, as a result, fail to obey that initial response that they will go out and do what God has called them to do. If God calls a young man to preach into the ministry, sometimes he's on fire and says, I'm going to do this, and immediately a decision is made. I'm going to serve God in this particular way, or maybe to a mission field, or maybe in some other uh, part of the service. And then the first thing you know, after reasoning, human reasoning enters in, and you just reason out and think it out, and first thing you know, Decide, well, maybe God didn't want me to do that in the first place. But if God Almighty lays upon your heart a real heavy burden to do a certain thing, and God calls you to do a certain thing, you make sure as the Holy Spirit leads you that you yield to that calling, whatever it may be. But this required immediate, complete obedience. He went out not knowing whither he went. The obedience which faith produces must be continuous. He believed God, and therefore he walked with God. And the Bible says, Genesis 17, let me give you this verse of Scripture. I believe it's 17, verse 1. And Abraham was ninety years old and nine. The Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. He had spoken to him to follow. He had spoken him time and again to be obedient. And various other movements in the life of Abraham showed that he was obedient and that his faith 
produced a continuous following of God. We have seen how Abraham's faith was when he was called and how it moved him to obedience. Now, this calling demands complete separation from the world, from the old life. He said he called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. We've already shown you the roots where that he was uh, in living in a, a, an idolatrous land, land of idolatry. They worshipped idols, he and his whole family. So the, the separation, the first thing that comes in the calling God gives you is separation from the world. Jesus said, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world, speaking of the ones he had called. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. He says, if they were, the world would love its own. Now then, I'd like for us to see five things about Abraham's faith. This much has been introduction to our message. The first thing I want us to see is that Abraham believed God concerning a promised land. We've already read some scripture about it. But verse 9 and 10, hold your place in Hebrews chapter 11 because there will be quite a few references there. Verse 9 and 10, it says, By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham believed God concerning a promised land. But actually... Abraham had no permanent dwelling in that land. Abraham was a resident alien in a country that belonged to other people. He dwelt in tabernacles or tents. He was a sojourner. It says he sojourned in the land of promise. Verse 10 said he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He dwelt as a sojourner. On down in verse 13, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promise, not having, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed, listen, that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Abraham knew that he was a stranger and a pilgrim on the earth. He knew that he had no permanent dwelling place. The Bible tells us that we are strangers, really, on this earth. We used to sing a song, This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Don't become too attached to this world. Because one of these days you're going to leave it. All of us are. We better be attached. Lay up, Jesus said, lay up therefore for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust are not corrupt and where thieves cannot break through and steal. So we need to have a heavenly uh, viewpoint of all of these things. We belong to a heavenly country, and we're strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 20 and 21, he says, Our conversation, which means citizenship, our conversation is in heaven. Well, if we're citizens of heaven, then we're strangers here on the earth. If our citizenship is in another country, and that's what it means, but our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able uh, to subdue all things unto himself. When Christ comes, he's going to change our vile body. So we're looking to our heavenly citizenship. And it seems that even then, Abraham was looking for his heavenly citizenship, though he was sojourning 
in this land of promise, because verse 10 says, He looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. I don't think he was looking for that on earth. And then the second thing, I said I'd give you five things about Abraham and his belief in God. Abraham believed God's promise of a son. God promised him a son. Back in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1 through 5. Let me read this. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy exceeding, I'm thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abraham said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? Now listen carefully. And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. This would be his heavenly inheritance through Isaac and through Jesus, the promised seed would be finally end up with Christ. And it says, And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. So, Abraham believed God's promise of a son. Even though he was about a hundred years old, it tells us in the book of Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 4, that verse 19 And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised sits by faith. Faith rests upon the promise of God, the Word of God. What he had promised, he was able also to, to perform. So he believed God's promise concerning the Son. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now then, and through this son, the promised seed. Now who is the, through this promised son, Isaac, that was to be born in Abraham's old age and Sarah's old age. And through this son, Isaac, the promised seed. Let me read in Galatians 3. And I've given you this before that you need to remember this verse. Galatians 3.16 I gave you three verses of Scripture. Genesis 3.15, the promised seed of the woman. And John 3.16, we all are familiar with that, God's only begotten Son. And Galatians 3.16 says this, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Now look, He saith not unto seeds as of many. God said to Abraham, So shall thy seed be. He saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. So even though he promised him a son, he promised that through that son, ultimately would be born the Savior, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it was through that seed that all the families of the earth would be blessed, and they would be as the stars of the heaven for multitude. Not the earthly seed, because at another time he says, look upon, look, look, your seed shall be as the sands of the seashore. That's earthly, isn't it? But he says, look at the stars. You're going to have a spiritual inheritance. And it will come through thy seed, through Christ. 
so that every born-again child of God, we're children of Abraham's faith. In verse 14 of the same chapter, it says that the blessings of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And so he's pointing out that it's for all people of all nations that can be spiritual seed of Abraham. And that's where we are today. We're the spiritual seed, even though we're Gentiles. We're not Jews. We're not of Israel. But we're the spiritual seed. Whatever nation, whatever uh, background we have, everyone who has by faith trusted in Jesus Christ, through Him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And that's who it was uh, pointing to in the ultimate fulfillment of this promised seed through which all nations of the earth would be blessed was Christ. Now then, the third thing. By faith, by Abraham's faith in God's promise, he was counted righteous. We've just read in Genesis 15, verse 6, that Abraham believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. You go back in the book of Romans, chapter 4, and it tells us about Abraham's faith. Verse 1 says, What shall we say then that Abraham our fathers pertaining to the flesh is found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Abraham's faith. And then in the fourth chapter, in the last verses, we could read a whole bunch of Scripture, but let's just start uh, with verse 13. For the promise that he should be heir of the world and not, was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. The promise was through faith. In verse 17, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations, before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were, that is, concerning the birth of Isaac, who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead, when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform, and therefore it was imputed, reckoned, or counted to him for righteousness. His faith was reckoned to him for righteousness. He believed God. And you say, well, what difference does that make to you and I? All the difference in the world. Listen. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, that righteousness was counted to him. It was not written for his sake alone, but for us also, to whom it, righteousness, shall be imputed or counted or reckoned. If we believe on him, what do we have to believe? If we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification, if we believe in Christ's death for our sins and His resurrection for our justification, then God says, I'm going to count you also righteous, just as I did Abraham. Did you know that's the way we're counted righteous today? We're not righteous in ourselves. Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So we were sinners. And he says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And how can we say we're righteous? Because we have Christ's righteousness. It says, for he made him to be sin for us, that is Christ, 
who knew no sin. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That's 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. So we're declared to be righteous. If we look at one another, you, if I look at you or you look at me, you'll say, well, that preacher, he's not righteous. We look at one another and we find all the faults and failures, sins and shortcomings. But then, when we think of the fact that God looks upon us through Christ's imputed righteousness, He's given us that standing. And God looks upon us differently. And I'm thankful that, that He does because each of us have too many of our own mistakes, do we not? And our sins and our shortcomings. So we can be counted righteous too. Abraham was selected by the Apostle Paul to be the outstanding example of justification by faith. We read in Romans chapter 4, but Romans 5 verse 1 in connection says, Therefore, what we just said, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're justified by faith. And it, Christ's death was for our sins, and His resurrection was His guarantee and proof of our own justification by faith. Now then, the fourth thing. Abraham's faith was tried, but he believed God concerning death and resurrection. If you still have Hebrews 11, look on down at verse 17 through 19. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now look, offered up his son, and it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now look, verse 19. Accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. What's it saying about Abraham being tried? If you go back to Genesis 22, you'll find verses 1 through 18. It talks about Abraham being tried. And he was told to go into the land of Moriah, go into a land that God would show him. He had to still go there by faith. And he says, go to one of the mountains that I will tell you of. And there I want you to offer up your son, your only begotten son, your son Isaac, upon an altar, a burnt offering. And Abraham started out to do that. And he left his servants behind. And he says, he said to the servants, he says, you wait here. And I listen at this faith. He knew what he was to do is offer up Isaac as a burnt sacrifice. He says, you stay here and I and the lad will go yonder and worship. He knew God was worshipped through sacrifice. And come again to you. So he was accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. That's what the Bible says. He says, I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. We're going up there. Abraham's heart must have been heavier than any person that I can think of, humanly speaking. To have God to test him was such a severe test. Abraham was tried or tested as no other ordinary man that I know of. Yet by faith he passed the test. And when he went up to carry out this sacrifice, the son on the way up, and he was not a child. He was probably 17, 18 years old. You could go debate that one way or another. He was a lad. He's called a lad, but he could resist his father. But he didn't. He submitted to his father just as Jesus submitted to the sacrifice on the cross for you and I. But he went up there and the son said, here's the fire and the wood for the burnt offering, but where's the sacrifice? And you know what? Abraham said, the Lord will provide himself a lamb. He'll provide himself a sacrifice. And yet he knew what he was to do. 
So when he, in obedience to God, took back the knife to slay his son and to offer him up as a burnt sacrifice, the Lord says, wait a minute, Abraham, hold it. He says, now I know that you believe me. Now I know you've stood the test of faith. Now I know you've stood the test. And he says, there's a ram caught there in a thicket by his horns. And you offer him up in this place of your son. So he took that ram and both he and Isaac saw the sacrifice that was offered up to God. The Lord shall provide himself a lamb. By the way, here it goes again. The Lord did provide himself a lamb. Notice this. The Lord provided the lamb. But the lamb was himself. There's a double play on that word. The Lord shall provide himself a lamb. The Lord provided the lamb, but he provided that lamb of himself. If you get the point. So we find that Abraham Abraham's faith was tried and tested, but he believed God concerning the concerning the death and resurrection of his son. He knew that God he knew that the promised seed was to come through Isaac. And he knew that God, if God kept His word about Isaac and the seed that would come through Isaac had to be born, then Isaac had to live. And he was accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. When it says here in 11.17 that He offered up Isaac, it means that uh, in the perfect tense in the Greek, it means that as far as Abraham was concerned, look at that verse. Verse 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. That as far as Abraham was concerned, it was as good as done. It was already done. The sacrifice was complete in his mind. That he would do it. That's how much he believed God. Can you think of a greater test of a man's faith than this that is seen in Abraham? Abraham so believed in the promised seed through Isaac that he fully expected that God was able to raise him up from the dead. And it says, From whence also he received him in a figure. And this then becomes a figure of Christ's resurrection from the dead. Now the last point of our message. Five. Abraham had faith in God for a better land of promise than an earthly land. Remember it says he sojourned, verse 9, in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. He didn't have a permanent dwelling place. It says in verse 10, For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Down in verse 16 it says, But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly. What kind of country was he looking for? An heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. This city where the builder and maker is God. The new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. We must realize that here we have no permanent dwelling. You say, I built a great big house and it has a fence around it and it's all secure and it's, you know, iron gates maybe. I don't know how. Maybe the, the most elaborate and the most secure and walls, but it's not permanent. All the rocks and the wood and the blocks will eventually be gone. But God has prepared a heavenly country, prepared a city. Here we have no permanent dwelling. All things are temporal. But there's a city which hath foundations. A city with permanence. This city is the heavenly Jerusalem. And this is the one whose builder and maker is God. He is the architect and he is the builder. He designed it and he builds it. 
And this is the heavenly Jerusalem. And God has already prepared the heavenly city for those men of faith. Let me just read quickly in chapter 12, verse 22. But you're coming to Mount Zion unto the city of the living God. Listen. The heavenly Jerusalem. Over in verse 13, verse 14 says, For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Now then, is your faith and mine in just this world, in this life, in this city, or this temporal, all, all these things that are temporal? Sure, we need things in this life. Your Heavenly Father knows what things you have need of. Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. If you put God first, He's going to add the necessary things for your life. Young people, older ones, middle-aged, whoever you may be, God will give you the necessary things if you'll put Him first. Learn to put God first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And then when this life is over, what do we have? When, we, when this life is over, we have a heavenly Jerusalem. We have a city that hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions, abiding places. And he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. Paul says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. So we have hope that after it's all over, we'll have a heavenly city, a heavenly Jerusalem, and an eternity to spend in the Lord's presence, whose builder and maker is God. I'm going to ask that we stand together.